We are continuing in our discussion of things that aren't in the Bible. Right? Seems like a strange thing to talk about in church, but tonight we're talking about something that 81% of people believe is in the Bible. Uh, as uh, Those are Americans polled by George Barna. And uh, it, it goes to show that the study that he did that in shows a lot about uh, kind of biblical ignorance in America, even though there are millions of Bibles here. Uh, they, these are some of the things he discovered. This, this, is, this study is a few years old now, but most of it still holds true. If anything, the numbers have probably gotten worse. Uh, 65% of Americans believe the Bible answers all or the most of all basic questions of life. 44% of Americans, however, believe that the Bible, the Koran, and the Book of Mormon teach the same things. 60% of Americans can't name half of the Ten Commandments. 63% can't name the four Gospels of the New Testament. And 31% believe a good person can earn his way into heaven. So one of what we're, part of what we're doing is talking about these kind of ideas where they come from, and why they're problematic. And tonight we're going to talk about one that was actually recommended by one of you uh, in a Facebook message I got. And uh, we're going to talk about the thought that God helps those who help themselves. All right? Uh, anybody know Bill O'Reilly? You know who that is? Uh, O'Reilly Factor, uh, Fox News. A few years ago now, he was interviewing on his show um, a pastor from New York who had a major outreach to homeless people. And Bill O'Reilly, just in the conversation, said, well, pastor, aren't you doing these people a disservice? Shouldn't they be about making it out on their own? He said, after all, we all know the verse that God helps those who help themselves. The problem is... There is no such verse, right? So where do we get that verse from or that idea from? Where does God help those that help themselves come from? Anybody know? Steve? Well, yeah, well, well, go, go for what you think. You just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it comes... Most people, it's been popularized by... It's been popularized by Benjamin Franklin. That's where a lot of people think it comes from, in Poor Richard's Almanac. But it actually comes from Aesop's fable. And it comes from Aesop's fables where um, a guy is in a chariot, and they're, and they're going down the road, and his chariot starts to get stuck, and it starts every, he tries to get out, and it gets deeper and deeper, and he calls out to Hercules to come and help him. And Hercules shows up and says, get to work yourself. You know the gods help those that help themselves. And so that transformed into Benjamin Franklin in Poor Richard's Almanac writing, God helps those who help themselves. Here's the reason I think it's so popular here is because it is the classic American proverb. Right? Proverb is a short saying that people think imparts wisdom or speaks truth. It is completely American. I don't mean that it had its origins in America, but as Americans, we pride ourselves on being able to accomplish whatever we want to do. We pride ourselves on being able to build whatever we want to build, learn whatever we want to live, um, 
be able to take. I mean, we, we have coined phrases for people that are able to rise out of the ashes of poverty and strife and struggle and attain success in the home of the American people. And we call it the American dream. And you don't expect anybody to help you because God helps those that help themselves. And most of the time when it's said, it's not said in a joyful way. God helps those that help themselves. It's said to somebody, you want to start helping themselves a little bit. You know, get to work, start working. God helps those that help themselves. All right, so let's let's talk about, let's discuss it for a minute. I've got some points and we'll get them up there. But you tell me, what what is there any essence of truth in that statement? I'm not asking trick questions. I'm just, Ms. Joan, God helps. There you go. That's good. Yeah, he said, if you don't work, you don't eat, right? Well, I preached a sermon a few weeks ago about the sluggard, remember? So, so perhaps there's some truth there. What's bad about it, if anything? I mean, the statement, God helps those who help themselves, it's just a harmless statement, right? I, I think that it can be that, that, that people say, I'm not going to help them because they need to learn to help themselves and do for themselves. Yeah, it, it's the... the the statement there that Steve said is there are people that work hard all their lives and yet they don't have a whole lot. And so it doesn't seem to kind of fit and they feel like they're trying to work in order for God to help them. Is that good or bad, Cliff? Why is that bad? Why is adding the word only bad? Because that's that's what's implied there, right? Yeah, God loves everybody. Bill, were you going to say something back there? Yeah. It's putting conditions, and what are the conditions? What's the condition for God to help? What we do, right? That sounds a whole lot like works-based help. So we're going to talk through that a little bit, look at the Bible. We're not going to be in one specific passage tonight, because what I want to tell you is there's partial truth in the statement, there's a complete lie in the statement, and there's a truth we need to realize about the statement. So the first thing is, the partial truth is, God will not help you if you are lazy. That is in the scripture. God will not help you if you are lazy. Miss Joan, you mentioned Paul. 2 Thessalonians verse 3, 10 and 12 says, We gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some of you are idle. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Lazy, good-for-nothings. That's the message paraphrase, by the way. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. So you see right there, God is not giving us a kind of a, a statement of you don't have to do anything. Just be lazy and I'll take care of you. That, that's not in God's Word. And so if the phrase God helps those who help themselves is, encouraging you not to be lazy, then laziness is part of our sinful nature. I mean, let's imagine for a minute you need a job for your family. The first thing you ought to do if you need a job is to go to the Lord in prayer, to seek the Lord and say, God, I need a job. I've got to feed my family. You've called me to do that. I need a job. But the second thing you ought to do is go look for a job. Right. Uh, I've told this story in some places about 
Susan and I, when we were coming towards the end of our seminary days, and Susan had officially was was closing in on receiving. I was getting my uh, MDiv with biblical languages, my Master of Divinity with biblical languages. Susan was getting her PhD. You know what her PhD is? That's putting him through degree. All right. She had worked for three years teaching school. I had worked part time at a preschool. We'd we'd done that. That was kind of the commitment she made. And my commitment to her was that when we had kids, that I, I believe the Lord would provide to where she didn't have to work. And so we've had kids. She hasn't gone back to teaching. And um, we were closing in on that. But but at the end of getting her PhD and me getting my MDivBL, I wanted to have a job. Right. And that was the goal. I had been in school for seven years after high school to get a job. And so we, you know, we began to pray about it. We began to think about it. We began to pray. And we decided, notice the words we, decided that God did not want us in West Tennessee. And so we would not send resumes to West Tennessee. And we prayed, God, we will go anywhere you want us to go except for West Tennessee. We'd like not to go there. And so the first call we got, some of you have heard this before, was Twin Falls, Idaho. That's a long way from home. All right, let me just tell you. When, when I told my parents that's a long, we didn't have grandkids yet for them, but they knew they were in the future. And they had not envisioned their lives getting on a plane to Twin Falls, Idaho. All right. And, and he called and he did not sell the church. Real, I'm sure it's a great church. I'm sure it's a fine church, but. The way he sold the church was that it was a very dry area. They had good irrigation. And that he hoped my wife worked because they couldn't pay me very much right now. But it was a good place to come and be a part. And so we prayed that night that God would reveal if there were other places he might like for us to consider. And so the next, about two days later, we got a call from Clovis, New Mexico. Same kind of scenario. And we prayed that night and decided it would be okay if God sent us to West Tennessee. All right? And we prayed, and we felt God saying, then start working to get a job. So the next week, we got the Baptist and Reflector in Texas. They sent it to us because we were seminary students. We were on their roll. My mom had called the office and told them they sent it to us. And there was an, uh, you notice in the, I think it's always crazy that they do this. They put, uh, want ads for pastors and all that in the Baptist and Reflector. And there was one in there for Ripley, Tennessee. And we said, well, we got to do something about this thing. We'll we'll send one to Ripley. All right. Ne- never thinking anything about it. Three weeks later, we get a call from the chairman of the committee and they want to talk. You just look at how that was one of those times when if you, we just, well, we'll pray it. God will provide. Well, he will. But he doesn't provide for people that are lazy about following through on their commitment to him um laziness is a part of our sinful nature some people would love to lay around have god put food in their mouth and massage their jaws in order to chew it and tickle their throat so they would swallow but that's not how it works it's all part of our nature if we were honest with ourselves there are moments in our lives when we could easily give in to laziness i'm not talking about rest i'm talking about laziness Eli's not here tonight because he's sick. He got sick last night. But he's got one of those 24-hour things, and he started feeling better today. But you know what Eli wanted to do all day? Lay in the bed and watch TV. 
And that's it. I went in there to see him. Now, he was sick, and so we, we kind of allowed some things that you don't allow when he's not sick. But I walked in there. He had a little, um, he, he had a little stash. Right? He was in the bed, under the covers, remote control in hand. He had his Nintendo DS. He had his Legos. He had it all around him. He had made a little pallet, and he was just going to rest all day. Right? Laziness is not something that God blesses. Proverbs 6, 6 through 7 says that we should be looking at the ant and that the ant ought to teach us a thing or two. Nobody has to tell the ant what to do. It stores up food all summer long. And then he says, how long are you going to laze around doing nothing? How long before you get out of bed? The point there is that we ought to be giving ourselves to work. So there is a, there is a measure of truth in this misquote. But as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't be satisfied with partial truth. And what is behind this partial truth is a lie. That self-help is the best help. The idea behind God helps those who help themselves is, if you will do your part and help yourself some, that will get you to the point that God can do something for you. And so it is conditional in that we have to do our part before God can do his. It's become an American ideal that we ought to be able to help ourselves. In fact, if you go to any bookstore, you can find just gobs of books on self-help or advice books. With titles like Help Yourselves, Think and Grow Rich, I'm Okay, You're Okay, Create Your Own Destiny, I Believe in Me, Try Plato, Not Prozac. All these self-help things. Americans spend millions of dollars to buy books that will give them the secret way to help themselves out of their problems. And most of the time, that involves finding your inner self. Oprah had a book a couple of years ago that she promoted a lot called The Secret. I didn't read The Secret, so I can't speak authoritatively about all that's in the book, but I saw enough about it to know that the secret was to find what it was in yourself that drove you and to pursue that from the inner parts of who you are. It's all about self. Self-help books and seminars are designed to give self-assurance and confidence, which is good in business circles, but it's not good in your relationship with the Lord. See, self-reliance makes you arrogant. Remember Muhammad Ali? Remember him? He's a pretty good fighter, right? Did he think he was a pretty good fighter? No, 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 he didn't think he was a pretty good fighter. He thought he was the greatest, right? And he let anybody know that he was the greatest. But talk about it. He liked to talk in rhymes, right? Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, right? You know that. Well, there's a story many of you probably heard about the time that he got on an airplane and refused to put his seatbelt on. And the flight attendant came by and said, Sir, you're going to have to put your seatbelt on. She said, he said, ma'am, I'm Superman. A Superman don't wear a seatbelt. She said, sir, you're going to have to put a seatbelt on. Everybody in the plane has to put a seatbelt on. He goes, ma'am, I am Superman, and Superman does not need a seatbelt. She said, sir, Superman also don't need a plane. All right? So we get a little confident about ourselves. And while most of us will never be as cocky as Muhammad Ali, I mean, some of that was for show. Some of that was to uh, psych out opponents. 
We're all born with this self-centered personality. We all have this little universe that revolves around us. You can see it in celebrities that get fed uh, uh, this uh, stuff about how great they are. Um, I read a tragic um, interview with Billy Ray Cyrus yesterday. Uh, father of Miley Cyrus, Hannah Montana, about two years ago, was selling more merchandise than anybody else in the world. And the article, what you realize is, when people are continually told how great and bulletproof they are, they eventually believe it. You even see it at our youngest two-year-olds, who, three-year-olds, who you try to help them with something, and they can say, I can do it by myself. Anybody heard that? I have. I hear it multiple times a day a lot of times. I can do it all by myself, Daddy. I want to do it. Let me get it. We have this idea that we want to, we want to take care of it ourselves. It's human nature. We think we can do anything. And when we've done something, we, we're proud of ourselves. We accomplish something. We want to take all the credit. That, that, that's the American way. You, you, you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You, you, you live your life doing what nobody else thinks you can do. You break through the barriers. You defeat all the enemies. You defy the odds. But the problem behind all this, we aren't responsible for any of that. Deuteronomy 8.17 says, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Now he's talking to the nation of Israel there. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. The Bible says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's in 1 Peter 5. You see, self-assurance makes you arrogant, but it also, this self-help out there, this self-reliance makes you forget your dependence on God. If you believe that God helps those who help themselves, then what you've convinced yourself is that when all the difficult things in life come, the little difficult stuff you can handle. It's just when stuff gets really difficult that you might need a little help from God. When it gets really hard, that's when I take it to Him. When things get in real bad shape, I'll go to Him. This little stuff I can handle on my own. But the big stuff, now that I take to God. God's not looking for people that are self-reliant. He's Seeking people who understand what it means to deny self and depend on him. Jeremiah 17.5 says, this is the message paraphrase again. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the strong one who depends on mere humans. Who thinks he can make it on muscle alone and sets God aside as dead weight. Some people think they can trust their muscles, their skill, their intelligence. They don't really need God. You know the hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, right? There, there's a verse in there that says, Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in His strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. God helps those that help themselves is a lie that may lead to some people think that maybe God needs our help instead of us needing His. Reminds me of the story of Abraham and Sarah. Remember that story, right? 
Abraham and Sarah, promised by God what? Child, right? We talked about assumptions a couple of weeks ago and that there are some assumptions that the Bible just breaks through, like you can't walk on water, nobody can come back from the dead. Well, there was also the assumption that you didn't have children once you got to be in in your mid-80s. Sarah was in her 70s. Abraham was in his 80s. That's a pretty good assumption, isn't it? I don't imagine that Susan and I will be wanting some new children when we get to be in our 80s and, you know, Susan and I are much closer in age than Abraham and Sarah, so we'd be in 80s together. But anybody out there, would y'all, y'all want that? Okay, thank you, Miss Pat. <laughs> no way. And so she gets to be in her 70s, Abraham's in his 80s, and Sarah just assumes God needs some help with his plan. That doesn't quite say it that way, but she goes to Abraham and says, Abraham, we don't have any kids. And I apparently can't have any kids, so you're going to have to go sleep with your servant. And she is going to give you a kid. In her mind, what she's thinking is, God hadn't finished his promise. I'm going to help him out a little bit. I'll help him along the way. Well, you know what happens there, right? Abraham agrees. He doesn't usually get the blame he deserves for agreeing to that proposition. Because it's not just Sarah's lack of faith that led to this. It was his as well. Hagar didn't have much choice in the matter. She has a child. The child's name is Ishmael. And Ishmael is the father of what would become the enemies of the people of God to this day. Thirteen years later, God shows up again and says, Now it's time for you to have a son. You ever thought about what would have happened if Sarah would have just trusted the Lord and not tried to help him? That if she would have not tried to be the one that helped herself? It leads to a place where we no longer depend on God. We depend on us. Now, it's easy for us to look at Abraham and say, well, of course they should have trusted the Lord. And God had told them. But how many times in our lives have we run ahead of the Lord? Tried to help the Lord in a situation. Lord, I trust you here, but I just think you might want to listen to what I've got to say about the matter. Or, I've got an idea of how this will work better. Or, I, I trust you, Lord, but I'm going to take this into my own hands for a little bit. Self-help is not the best help. Sometimes we substitute our plans for God's plans. God doesn't need our help. God helps those who help themselves. That's not what Scripture teaches. It's a lie. But here's the truth. God helps those who are helpless. Throughout Scripture, there are Two groups of people that God continually calls on the nation of Israel and the people of God to take care of. He says, look after the orphans and the widows. Now, why in the world does he continually say that? Because the most helpless people in that society were the orphans and the widows. There's a point where they're talking about religion and they're talking about all the festivals. They're talking about all the sacrifices and God says... That's not true religion. True religion is this. 
to look after the orphans and the widows, the helpless, those who can't do anything on their own. It's a pattern throughout Scripture that, that God continually helps those kind of people. I mean, the first step to being helped by God is to admit that you are powerless to do anything yourself at all. That's hard to admit we can't do anything on our own. Especially for men, it is hard. That's why when men get lost, they don't stop and ask directions. That's why we don't read instruction manuals. That's why when things won't come off, we just grab the hammer. Or the crowbar. Right? We don't want to admit that we cannot do it. We don't want to admit that we don't know what we're doing. That's why we will spend $1,000 to repair something that would have taken $200 for somebody that knew what they were doing to fix. Before we messed it up trying to fix it. We don't like to admit we don't know what we're doing. It's not just a male thing. It's... Female too. I think it's funny that uh, I rode with my dad. He, he was driving, and uh, y'all don't tell him I told you this story. But I rode with my dad. This has been a couple of years ago now, and I had the GPS set, and he argued with the GPS woman. Right? He knew a better way than she knew to get there, and so uh, I ended up having to mute her recalculating. <laughs> she kept doing that. We have to admit, we, we, we're powerless. In his book, The Grace Awakening, Dr. Swindoll writes this, I consider the most dangerous heresy on earth the emphasis on what we do for God instead of what God does for us. Some are convinced of the opposite, and they would argue nose to nose. They're often the ones who claim that their favorite verse of Scripture is, God helps those who help themselves. The fact is, God helps the helpless, the undeserving. Those who don't measure up, those who fail to achieve his standard. Nevertheless, the heresy continues louder now than ever in history. Most people see themselves as master of their own fate, captains of their own souls. And why not? It supports humanity's all-time favorite subject, self. Compare that. And God helps those who help themselves to Psalm 94 when it says, Unless the Lord had given me help, I would have dwelt soon in the silence of death. When I said my foot is slipping, your love, O Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. David was about to die. He was helpless. He was nowhere. And if God hadn't helped him, it would have been all over. There's a hymn by Philip Bliss called Man of Sorrows, What a Name. You'll probably recognize the chorus with a little different flavor. But the third verse of this story that tells the whole act of atonement and forgiveness says, Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was He, full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior. Once we get to the point where we say we can't do anything on our own, then we trust Him alone for help. 
David wrote in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, who who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I read that psalm, I believe now, incorrectly for many years. I read that psalm to say, David's sitting there thinking, um, I look into the hills, and where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. This idea that, that he's sitting there with his sheep, and he looks up, and he sees the hills, and he imagines the hills as if God is coming riding over them to bring him protection and to deliver him. Almost like I look to the hills, and I see God there. I don't think that's what he means now. Because you have to realize, as a shepherd, if you had your sheep in a valley or in a field, and you looked over and you saw hills, all you thought about is what in the world is going to come from those hills. When I lie down to sleep tonight, what danger is lurking in those hills? And so as David is seeing this, what he sees and what he thinks about those sheep is, I look to the hills. Where am I going to get help from? From whatever may be in those hills. From whatever animals are there. From whatever danger is there. What is going to protect me from the danger that might come from those hills? And he says, my help comes from the Lord. Maker of heaven and earth. What he's saying there is, whatever could keep me up at night. Enemies, thieves, wild animals. The only reason I can sleep peacefully is because I serve a God who does not sleep nor slumber. You ever have something that keeps you up at night? Makes you toss and turn? Maybe you try to start a conversation with your spouse and they're already asleep. And maybe you just time your conversation with their snores so it's like they're actually talking to you for a minute. Or maybe you're just in bed alone and tossing and turning and thinking about all those things that might go wrong or could go wrong or have gone wrong. That's where David is. I look into the hills and where's my help? There's no reason to stay up at night worrying. God never gets sleepy. He says he never sleeps nor slumbers. He never snoozes. He's continually watching. You can trust him completely i heard about a christian businessman who was leaving for a two-week business trip he prayed with his life before he left and he said lord please protect sharon and the kids while i'm gone when he got through he raised up and his wife had kind of a smirk on her face he didn't think it was a particularly funny prayer and he kind of said what are you thinking she said i'm just thinking who do you think protects us when you're here our help comes from the lord Right? Not from anything we do. When it says God helps those who help themselves, the the problem behind that is it makes it sound as if God waits on us to perform before he acts on our behalf. And that's just simply not the case. In truth, God helps the helpless. The beginning of the 20th century was an interesting time in the world. 
Darwin had just published the theory of evolution in 1859, and it had exploded in the latter part of that century. His his theory was gaining popularity. People believed social evolution existed. Belief was that mankind was getting better and better and better. It infiltrated even the church, where the church developed a new view called postmillennialism that thought that there was going to be a thousand years of peace worldwide, and then Jesus would come. It was a time of peace and progress and endless promise. Industrial revolution was in full swing. There seemed to be no limit to what technology could accomplish. In the early part of the 20th century, telephone, airplanes, electric lights, horseless carriage, all invented in those first. I mean, we think that lots of stuff are being invented and developed now, and they are, but you talk about life-altering stuff. It was a heady time when man had a confidence in himself and his technology. At the very pinnacle of the evolutionary climb was the construction of what people considered to be the greatest transportation device in the history of the world. It was the biggest, fastest, most luxurious transportation. It was the symbol of man's technological evolution. And when it was dedicated on May 31, 1911, one of the employees that had worked on the ship said, even God could not sink this ship. You know what I'm talking about, right? Titanic. When, um, when I was younger, they, they brought that Titanic exhibit uh, to Memphis. They, they showed it off in Memphis. Memphis... You familiar with the pyramid in Memphis? You know they show it on the pictures. They did it in the pyramid in Memphis, and we we took a trip down there. I can't remember who I went with, but we went. Some of my friends and I. I think we were out, where I was at Union at the time. I may have been still in high school, but we went. And we got the we got the headphones on, and we did the guided tour and all of that kind of stuff. And they had actual pieces of the ship they had salvaged, and things that would have been on the ship, and the stories from people that survived, and and all of that. And, and you just realize that the sheer um, arrogance of the people that built and then drove that ship. On the night of April 14th, it sideswiped an iceberg. When it did, it was moving at 22 knots, which is very fast. Because no iceberg could do anything to the ship. The, the ironic thing is that the very things that were made to weak it where it could not sink are the things that caused it to sink. Because of the angle that it started to go in, water started to jump over these barriers and fill compartment after compartment that were supposed to protect the ship from sinking. But the most mind-boggling thing about that is there were... You may know how many people were on the ship, I mean, approximately. It's around 3,000. 3,000 people on the ship. And the most remarkable thing is With 3,000 people on the ship, they had enough lifeboats for 1,000. That's just arrogance. Somebody has said that the iceberg wasn't responsible for the death of many of those people. Human arrogance was. That night, 705 people survived. 705. It was from an attitude of, I can do it myself. Nothing can stop me. I don't need God. He's, you know, I don't need anything. We don't need lifeboats on this boat. We're just going to play the music. We're going to keep going. Everything will be all right. 
And part of the thought behind something like God helps those who help themselves is that we're just going to keep moving forward, doing our best that we can, acting as strong as we can, because nothing's going to get to us. When we need to realize that without the Lord leading our lives, we are headed for a path of destruction. And when we propagate things to the outside world like God helps those who help themselves, we are misrepresenting the gospel of Jesus Christ and the God that we serve who says that we must come to a place of absolute surrender before he ever works in major ways in our lives.